0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm uh, 150. Uh, Psalm 150, if you're new to using the Bible, uh, Psalm 150 is the last Psalm uh, in the Psalter. We'll be in Psalm 150. Hear these words from our God. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, we confess to you this morning that we are in need of you to speak to us. And we don't come here uh, pretending as if we have it all together. So we ask that you by your word and by your spirit that you would change us. That you would take these these words uh, in your word and the word that is about to be preached and you would use them uh, for the means of transformation. I pray that you would call each and every person in this room uh, to Christ. And that is a burden that I cannot carry. So I confess to you my inability and ask that you would help. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Why? did God save you? Why did God save us? Have you ever allowed that question to percolate through your mind and your heart for a a significant period of time? Why did God save you? Why did God save us? God out of his sheer grace saved us from his righteous judgment against our sin, by pouring his wrath on Jesus, Jesus was swallowed up by the waters of judgment for us. Jesus was crucified for us. Jesus was laid in a borrowed tomb for us. Jesus was raised from the grave for us. But here is the question, why? What was God's purpose in saving us? The scriptures respond to this question by saying, God saved us so that we would worship him. Why was the grace of God given to you? It was so that God would be praised. Ephesians 1 says it in this way. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. Do you remember the exodus? How did the people respond after they realized that God Crush their enemies. And they responded with joyful singing. They respond by singing, Who is like the Lord? Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? I want to argue this morning that the central thing that marks us off as the people of God is that you and I are caught up in the praise and worship of the God who created and redeemed us. Psalm 150 is the climax of the entire Psalter. It is to say that this is where all of the Psalms want to bring us. As you come to the end of the Psalms, it seems that God does not want us to miss the priority of praising him. Uh, Each of the last five uh, Psalms Uh, begin and ends with the Hebrew word, hallelujah. Praise is the central theme in each of these psalms. It's like uh, a mounting crescendo at the the climax of a, a great symphony. The theme of praise has dominated all the psalms, but as the end approaches, the conductor brings us into this section of the orchestra of the grand finality, and that is Psalm 150. Psalm 150 is the climax of climax where we are exhorted, commanded no less than 13 times in six verses to praise the Lord. Beloved, I have one goal and hope for us this morning. It is not to give more information, uh, but I want to lead us to where the psalmist wants to lead us and that is to the praise and worship of God. You may be here this morning And we all come here with a mixed bag, and you may come here this morning with your heart broken. You may be in this room wounded and battered by sin. You may be in this room tired and exhausted by your children. Children, you may be in this room tired and exhausted by your parents. Uh, Many of us have decisions to make, some about college and, and life circumstances, some of us are not sure if bills will be paid this morning and the list could go on and on and on and on. But beloved, you and I have been called this morning, in this moment, to praise the Lord. I want us to take a look at the where, the why, the how, and the who of praise. The where, the why, the how, the who of praise. First, the where of praise. The where of praise is quite an important question. Where are we to praise the Lord? Some of you may be thinking, I can get my praise on anywhere, it's about me and God. But the psalmist doesn't start there. The psalmist instructs us in the second part of verse one, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. The psalmist first commands us to worship God in his sanctuary. God's sanctuary refers to the place on earth where God's people are gathered. For us to worship in God's sanctuary means for us to worship God on the Lord's day with his people. We must be a people who gather to worship God. Listen to Hebrews 10 verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In our current cultural moment, it's easy to believe that Sunday morning worship is optional. We can worship at home. It's me and God. Listening to a podcast every Sunday instead of being with God's people is okay. Beloved, the scriptures again and again remind us that we are commanded to worship God together with his people. I say this not as an exaggeration. I say this is not something uh, to make much of, but I say this with all seriousness. Every friend of mine, every loved one of mine who has walked away from the Christian faith first first started walking away from the faith by walking away from Sunday worship. You want to talk about leading your, your family in the things of God? Make sure you lead them to church. You want to know, you want to show what your neighbor, to your neighbors what you are prioritizing? Lead, show them that you're driving out of your driveway every Sunday to worship the Lord with his people. This command to worship the Lord in his sanctuary also gives us direction into what we do on a Sunday morning. What are we doing right now? We are worshiping God. What is our primary purpose to gather? It is to worship God. You and I have been called by God to worship God. It's worth pausing and saying this, beloved. Sunday morning is not about you and it's not about me. It's not about my worship preferences. It's not about us getting an amazing experience. It is about God. And I say this. Uh, and I think it's worth saying because you and I are discipled and catechized in a culture that says 6.9 days a week everything else is about us. Our culture, our city, our world wants us to live by the motto, have it your way. And we're tempted to buy into that lie that the world revolves around us. Think about all the things that you got mad about this week. Most of them were probably because you did not get what you wanted. And corporate worship, this time where we gather together, flies in the face of all of that and says and shouts that this is not about us. Corporate worship cuts through the noise and shouts to God alone be praised. It gives us a weekly reminder that there is only one person who is the center of all things. Beloved, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What is your only comfort, your only hope in life and in death? That you and I are not our own, but we belong both in body and soul, in life and in death, to Jesus Christ, our faithful Savior and Creator. Worshiping God in the sanctuary with his people reminds us of this. Every time we hear the call to worship, we should remind ourselves that this is not about us. We worship God in his mighty sanctuary. We not only are called to worship God in his sanctuary, but notice the language in the second phrase found in verse one, in his mighty heavens. God deserves to be praised in his church, but he also deserves to be praised in his mighty heavens. One commentator says this, God's glory fills the universe. His praise must do no less. The the doxology that we sing on most Sundays helps us to understand this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all ye creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Where is God to be praised? In heaven above, earth below, in every place in between. This phrase, praise him in his mighty heavens, also calls us to praise God in all of creation. We have been called together as God's people to praise God at all times, in all places. We are not just to be Sunday Christians. We are not just to be two hours a week as we gather Sunday morning, but praise is to, be characteri- is to characterize every moment of every day wherever we are. All of our lives are to be lived for God. Whether we are at school or at work, whether we are at home, whatever we are doing, these are places that are not away from the Lord. But all these areas of life are to be places where our lives are to be lived in light of who God is. Where is God to be praised? In his church, in his sanctuary, and throughout all of creation. But we also don't see. We also see not just the where of praise, but the why of praise. Look with me in verse two. Praise him and praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. God is to be praised at all times in all places by all people. Why? The psalmist answers this question by saying, "We worship God for what He has done." and for who he is. The psalmist starts by telling us to praise God for his mighty deeds. What are the mighty deeds of the Lord? What is on the psalmist's mind when he penned these words? Maybe the psalmist is thinking of the Psalter itself. Maybe the psalmist is thinking of Psalm 3.8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Or Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? the Lord is the the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Maybe he's thinking of David in Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Maybe Psalm 34, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. I think the psalmist not only has the Psalter in view, but also and maybe even especially has the Exodus in view. For the people of God under the old covenant, this was the most important moment in their history. It was during the Exodus where God put his glory on display by saving his people out of slavery by crushing his and their enemies. Again, how did the people respond after the sea swallowed Pharaoh's army? They didn't have a solemn assembly, although that would have been appropriate. They didn't deeply contemplate those things, although that could have been okay. But instead, they respond in joyful praise. Listen to Exodus 15. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. We are to praise God for his mighty acts of redemption. On this side of the cross, you and I worship God for something much more extraordinary than the Exodus. We worship God for his mightiest work of redemption. We are to praise God for the redemption that is ours through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus humbly entered into the womb of a virgin. He was born of a place of ill repute. He took a lowly job. He perfectly loved God and loved neighbor. He was betrayed. He received an undressed trial. He was rejected by the the very people whom he came to save. He was crucified. He was consumed by the wrath of God. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He will come back for his people and judge the living and the dead. He will make all things new. Beloved, this is good news because he did it all for us. He accomplished all of this work on our behalf. What is the the fuel that is the vehicle? What is the fuel for the vehicle of worship? Beloved, it is the gospel itself. God's mightiest work of redemption through Christ will be enough to sustain our worship for 10,000 years and beyond. We sang the song Amazing Grace, and in one sense there are like 50 million renditions of Amazing Grace. Uh, but there's one, and it ends this way. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright sh- shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We are to praise God for his mighty deeds, but we are also to praise God according to his excellent greatness. Another way to translate this uh, would be to say that we praise him for his surpassing greatness. Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. This psalm recognizes the fact and encourages us to worship the Lord for who he is. We praise him for his surpassing greatness. Every one of us in human relationships like to be appreciated for the things that we have done. I think parents like to think that their children are occasionally will pause to be thankful. In friendships, we're glad when something, when something we do uh, is acknowledged and appreciated. This, in, this is important. But another important fact is that we also in human relationships at times want to be loved just for who we are. and The Lord says that this is something that should characterize our worship of him. We should love and worship him for his own sake. We should love him for his surpassing greatness just for who he is. God is faithful. God is kind. God is just. God is good. God is love. All of these attributes and more are meant to lead us to praising God. If you claim to have a big God theology, it is most clearly seen in your singing. It is said that Martin Luther would require all of his aspiring theologians to learn first how to sing. The truth of God should always lead to the praise of God. Sound theology must be fueled to doxology. Why do we praise the Lord? We praise God for what he has done and for who he is. But another question that this text presents and asks is how are we to praise the Lord? How are we to praise the Lord? Verses three through five say this. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. In these verses, the psalmist begins to list various musical instruments that were used in Israel's liturgical life. These instruments aren't just there, uh, aren't just included to tell us what the praise band was like, but each of these instruments had a unique purpose in Israel's life. A pious Israelite would hear these words and be reminded of certain experiences and emotions that went with those experiences. The trumpet would be used to summon the people to hear the voice of the Lord. It was sounded to get them ready for battle. It was used to announce the year of Jubilee. It was sounded at the anointing of a king. This instrument you see would have carried their minds back to all sorts of occasions where God would have called them to praise him. It would have brought joy, but it also would have brought solemnity. The harp and the lyre. The harp and the lyre were used as instruments to signify rejoicing. They were played at the dedication of the temple. Uh, They were played at the dedication of the new walls of Jerusalem. They were played sometimes to accompany prophecy and sacrifices. They were played uh, when uh, Israel celebrated victory in battle. The dance in the uh, tambourine. Again, we see this idea of celebration and joy, but with dance in the tambourine, we see it being used with our bodies. We find in Exodus 15, Miriam dancing and leading the woman of Israel in dance and playing the tambourine. We find repeated references of how the women danced after King Saul and David uh, were victory victorious over the enemies of God. It's safe to say that dancing and the playing of tambourines were brought every time Israel's enemies were conquered. The strings in the pipe Uh, they are recorded here uh, but they are also used for general instruments of rejoicing the symbols again moved uh, were associated with the moving of the ark and the sacrifices in the temple what does all of this mean why did the psalmist bring all of these instruments to bear you know what's interesting Uh, the only the greatest description of the use of instruments uh, that we see in Israel's history comes at a moment when the ark is taken back to Jerusalem. We see this in 1 Chronicles 13 verse 8, and let me read that because it helps us understand this. And David and all the and all of Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. Did you hear that phrase? with all your might. How are we to praise the Lord? With all of our might. Our praise of God is not to be a casual thing for us. Our praise is to be wholehearted. We are invited to praise the Lord with everything we have. Our worship should be marked by enthusiasm. I'm not talking about volume and singing. I'm not talking about whether you raise your hands or not. I'm not asking you to do something that is different to your personality, even though our personalities are not inerrant. I'm saying this, or better yet, I'm asking this, do we strive to praise the Lord with all of our might? I say this and I tread lightly here. In our tradition, our theological tradition, we have rightly emphasized doctrine. We do not leave our minds at the door But I think you can argue that we have unintentionally minimized the role of our emotions in worship. You and I are called to feel the truths that we are singing. To worship with all of our might is to connect our head and our hearts in worship. And just in case you think I'm crazy, I brought me a faithful witness. Let me quote Brother Calvin to you. But how can the mind be aroused to taste the divine goodness without at the same time being wholly kindled to love God in return? For truly, that abundant sweetness which God has stored up for